Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to church today and happy Easter coastline. It's great to see you if you're a guest. Thank you for being here. And if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16. And we'll get there in a moment in time if you want to make your way to Mark chapter 16. Well, Jesus did it and he told us he would. I mean, like Babe Ruth pointing to the outfield fence that he'd soon hit a home run over, Jesus Christ called the shot. He lived his entire ministry telling us that he would die and that he would rise again from the dead. And we know that he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated the grave, and we are grateful for that. And really, when it comes to the faith of the Bible, Christianity, if you would, there is one definitive clincher. There's one question that when answered, it affects every other question that could ever be asked. The resurrection is the definitive clincher. It's the one big thing that if it's true, if it's a reality, it touches everything else. One time to make the point of how essential the resurrection is to our faith, the Apostle Paul rhetorically asked this question. He said, what if Jesus had not risen from the dead? He went on to answer that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said it this way. He said, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. He basically said this, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then this weekend when more people attend church than any other, this is the biggest waste of a weekend in the entire calendar year. But friends, we know that Jesus did rise again from the dead. And we're here today to celebrate that, and we're grateful for the reality of a living Savior. And I think it would be fair if someone were to ask me, well, how do you know that? And being a preacher, I don't think you'd be surprised at all if I were to take the Bible and open it and, and maybe point to some verses in God's Word. And certainly the Bible has tons to say about the reality of, of a Savior that conquered death. I think of Luke, who was a follower of Jesus. He was a medical doctor by trade, and he wrote a couple historical accountings in the New Testament. One was accounting the life of Jesus Christ. We call that the Gospel of Luke. He wrote another book that tells the history of the, of the first century church. That's the book of Acts. And, and as Luke was, was writing, he knew how important the resurrection was. And so very early on in his words in the book of Acts, he said this. He said, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. D Dr. Luke, based on the evidence, based on the analysis, based on, on his talking with eyewitnesses, based on his own experience with Jesus Christ, he said, I want you to know when it comes to the resurrection, his word, he says, it's been proven. More than that, he said, it's been infallibly proven. And more than that, he said, it's been infallibly proven many times over. You see, eyewitnesses to the living Savior were everywhere after he rose again. But beyond the words that were written, I think it would be fair to consider the lives of those who God used to write those words. We think of the New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we think of Peter, we think of Paul uh, and others, and, and I think of Matthew, he was basically a government worker, a tax collector, and a Christ follower. He wrote of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke, as I said, a, a doctor. Mark probably was Greek in his origin. We, we think of Peter and John, fishermen, but faithful followers of Jesus. Paul was trained in the law, and these were all people who to their dying day testified to the reality of who they saw, Jesus Christ, alive from the dead. I think of James, the younger brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
what would your brother or sister have to do for you to prove to them that you're God? I think you'd have to raise again from the dead, okay? And James did not believe Jesus for his entire ministry. He heard the preaching. He saw what Jesus did. James was not a believer. But when Jesus victoriously came out of that grave and James saw his brother alive, it changed his life. James went on to become the great pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Lives were changed. And these are all people that suffered incredibly had they just thrown up their hands and said, you're right, we're not sure, or it's not true, they, they would have lived lives of ease. But just about every one of those early followers of Jesus Christ died the death of a martyr. We may find one person who, who's not right for one reason or another who would die for a lie. But to see all of these people stand for the truth of Jesus Christ, to me, is a great evidence to the reality that they knew there's more to it than just this life. Jesus is alive. It changes everything. But when you really think about it today, and I want to be careful how I say this, we're not here just to celebrate Jesus rising again from the dead. Had he done it only for himself, we could say good for him. This would be like a this day in history thing. What happened on this day in history? Well, well Jesus rose again, and it would be a good for him kind of thing. And, and, and we would rejoice in that alone. But the reality is we're here today to celebrate the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because he did not do it just for himself. He did it for us. And so we're here today to, to understand how does our life connect to the resurrection. And, and as the truth of, of Easter was made known to those who follow Jesus, their lives change. And I pray that our lives will change uh, proportionately as well as we come to know of who Jesus is. If you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read the word of God together. Mark chapter 16, if you're glad to be in church, say amen. 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 We had a great night last night, man. Awesome. Great day yesterday. A couple more services coming yet today. And uh, I'm just glad I get to hear the music all those times. And it's been good already. Mark chapter 16, I'll begin in verse 1. The Bible says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Speaking of Jesus. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, be not affrighted, you see Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And really, those three words changed all of the world. Those three words near the end of verse 6. He is risen. And that's what we're going to talk about together today. Lord, thank you for this morning, these people, the great work you have done, and by faith, the work we believe you will do. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Try as we might, I think it would be really hard for us to fathom the depth of despair that those followers of Jesus Christ endured after the crucifixion. They had no idea exactly what was going on, but they did know that they loved Jesus, and really, it would be hard to find someone in that time and space who would have not loved the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. I, obviously, there were haters, but I mean, by and large, his ministry was love one another, help those in need, deal with people with impartiality. I mean, the teaching of Jesus was transformative, and, and by and large, he was appreciated, and his followers, they loved him with all of their hearts. But when Jesus died, they thought, well, this is the end of the story. 
It's been a beautiful story, but apparently it was a tragedy type of a story because it ended all too soon in their way of thinking. It wasn't until they came to understand that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, as he said, that their lives began to change in ways that before they never could have imagined. You see, the power of the resurrection brings some change into our lives. And one risk a pastor has to watch out for on Resurrection Sunday is the risk of trying to say everything in a single sermon. You guys don't want that, and I don't want that either. But there are three powerful truths that come from the resurrection that I hope to give to you today. Truths that you can take into your heart. Truths that you can take home with you. Truths that can transform our lives as those who follow Jesus in the first century were transformed. If you have your notes this morning, it'll be helpful as we make our way through this. The first truth we'll consider is this. The resurrection brings hope to the hurting. The resurrection brings hope to the hurting. A moment ago, we read several verses here in Mark 16 and And as we made our way into verse 3, the Bible tells us this of these ladies that were going to anoint the body of Jesus. It says, And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Now, I don't want to miss just the very human thing that was going on here. These ladies were discouraged. They were, they were really despondent, overwhelmed in grief. And, and sometimes when we're hurting, when we're discouraged, we, we worry. And so many times, the things we worry about never even do come to pass. A lot of the things I worry about, I give my time to, I give my thoughts to. It never even happens that way. And these ladies were walking and they're upset about the fact that there was a stone that was covering the entrance to the tomb of Jesus Christ. Wondering, how will that problem be addressed? The reality is the stone had already been removed. But here they are in their herd and and in their worry. and, And they learned a lesson even in that moment. That our God is a God who can meet the needs that we have, even needs that we have in the future that we're not even aware of yet god gives us hope and the resurrection validates that truth paul wrote this in romans 15 he said now the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the holy ghost when you've got a god of hope you can abound in hope and that's a great truth when you believe in a god who's so powerful he can conquer death it really does have a way of putting our problems into perspective I don't want to make light of what it may be that's bringing hurt into your heart today, but I want to say because Jesus lives, there's hope that can be had. Sometimes I say it this way, when you've got a big God, you've got little problems. But if you've got a little God, you've got big problems. And let me tell you about a God who can rise again from the dead. He's a big God, and that can encourage us. The empty tomb is a powerful symbol of a God who brings hope to the hurting. And we all love symbols. Uh, symbols have meaning. I, I heard a story recently that I thought kind of illustrated this. It was of a teacher that thought it would be good to kind of exchange ideas in the classroom. And so they were going to have a show and tell days and the students were to bring their, uh, their item in that would demonstrate what their family's kind of historic faith tradition had been. And, and uh, that was the plan. And, and so as the day arrived, uh, one little boy came up and he stood before the class. He said, I'm Benjamin and this is the star of David and I am Jewish. And Benjamin went and sat down, and as he was walking away, next came Mary, and, and, and Mary introduced herself. I'm Mary, and she said, this is a crucifix. She held one up, and she said, and I'm a Catholic. And uh, Mary went to sit down, and she was going, Jimmy came. And, and Jimmy came up there, and he said, I'm Jimmy, and this is a casserole my mom made, and I'm a Baptist, okay? 
I think Baptists are kind of known by that symbol of our potlucks. But, but all of us, we appreciate a symbol. And, and really, regardless of who you are, what your background is, the empty grave is a symbol we can all rejoice in today. Our God can do anything. And he proved that when he defeated death. Here's the second truth this morning. The resurrection brings clarity to the confused. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is just the absolute brutal honesty with which God gives us his word. I mean, if I were crafting a book that I was going to call the Bible, I, I might shade it to kind of favor things. But really, when you read the Bible, it gives the whole story. It gives the good, it gives the bad, and, and it gives the ugly. And I've got to give you the full story of the followers of Jesus Christ is this. To a person, they doubted his ability to rise again from the dead. I mean, those that knew him the best, they, they doubted him. He, he had a ministry where he would tell them things like, hey, take up your cross and follow me. And the followers of Jesus, when they saw the cross, they fled from him. I mean, they abandoned him. A few verses down from where we read earlier, Mark chapter 16, I'd like to share a few verses with you. Verses 9 through 14 there. The Bible says this, Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they, that, uh, and when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. That was their first response. They believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And the verse goes on, but we see they believed not, neither believed they. They believed not, and they were just having a hard time wrapping their minds around the fact that Jesus was alive. They were confused, and I think we all know what it is to have our perspective not quite right, and, and confusion can, can set in. I, I like the story that President Truman used to tell that uh, it kind of illustrates this matter of being confused. He told the story of a man one day on a construction site as he was working. He got hit in the head with some lumber so hard, and he was knocked out so soundly that his co-workers concluded he, he died, man. They didn't call an ambulance for him. This took place many years ago. They, they just went ahead and called the funeral home. The funeral home came out and, and they picked him up and they put him in a, in a casket for transport back to, uh, to their place. And it was late in the day, so they put him in a cool room and thought, well, we'll deal with this tomorrow. And that man had only been knocked out. And in the, in the middle of the night, he, he awakens there and he kind of leans up and looks around. And he sees other caskets and some of them open with people in there. And, and then he slowly puts his head back down and he got to thinking. How many of you that would get you to thinking? huh and uh, so he got to thinking and he's thinking as he's laying there he's thinking you know if, if I'm alive why am I in a room with a bunch of people who are not and why am I laying in a satin lined casket and then he continued thinking he thought but if I'm dead why do I have to go to the bathroom so bad you know and so sometimes we have these times of confusion we can't figure it out let me tell you something the resurrection more than anything else brings a clarity when it comes to us understanding who God is and what that means to us. That they were confused. And I think we'll cut them a little slack. I mean, this was an amazing, amazing event. It kind of took them some time to come to terms with it all. 
We know there are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them uh, touch on this matter, deal with this matter of the resurrection. And we've been reading quite a bit here in Mark, but I want to read a few verses to you from the Gospel of John to help you understand this idea of the resurrection bringing clarity to the confused. In John chapter 20, the Bible says it this way, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. And I'm going to read on, but this is Peter and John, and John he was a man, I know that, because he just had to put in the Bible he could run faster than Peter. No bearing on the story, he just wanted to let everybody know, I outran Peter, okay? And it says, and came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Everybody say saw. Yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. Everybody say seeth. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Everybody say, saw. So we find three words in this narrative. We see saw, seeth, and then saw again. And those words are accurately translated into the English language so we can read them. I'm not implying but by what I'm about to say that, that those were inappropriately translated words for us. They're, they're not, absolutely not. They, they are correct. But in the language of the New Testament, there was a nuance given to these words. Each of those words, in fact, were, were different words that had a different idea the the first word used for saw there is a word that means to glance at something to glance at something you could glance and say yeah i saw that the next word there seeth is a word that means to look carefully at something to look at it carefully but this final word that was used for saw is is a word that means to look at something clearly to the point of understanding and that's why the Bible concludes in that passage by saying he saw and believed. There was kind of this progressive enlightenment, if you would, where it's like, yeah, I see that, but he didn't. And then, yeah, I see it a little more, but he didn't really understand. But then finally, man, the resurrection made sense to his heart. A few weeks ago, I told my wife, I said, man, I have a headache. She said, Steve, you've been saying that a lot lately. And uh, she said, you probably should get your eyes checked. And when she said that, I thought, yeah, I can see. I'm sure it's not my eyes. Um, but I got my eyes checked anyhow, and sure enough, it was my eyes. And uh, I, I got glasses. And all along, I thought, well, I can, I can see just fine. Man, when I put those glasses on, it was like, good night. I feel like I'm, everything's in large print now. It's like, I can see you people. I'm not wearing them now. But I mean, I could see stuff that I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, in that moment of confusion, they truly saw that Jesus, hear me, they saw that Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a wise teacher. He was not just a prophet. He's God. He's God. They came to understand exactly who he is and what he had done. The resurrection brought clarity in their time of confusion. And that brings us to the final truth we'll consider today. The resurrection replaces religion with relationship. And that statement will require some explanation. The era in which Jesus died was like ours in the sense that religion was absolutely everywhere, everywhere. Even in the day in which we're living, I know many of those who would say that their system of faith would be that there's no God. Uh, that really is a, a very small number outside of really some places in the United States and, and in Europe. I mean, it's almost universally accepted in the world today that, that there's a God. And people, of course, have different ideas, different views. But our day is like the day of Christ and that just about everybody in the world would say there's a higher power or something of this nature. But you see, Jesus did not come to bring a religion. The world had plenty of religions. 
Jesus came to provide a way whereby we could have a real, legitimate, authentic, personal, and lasting relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to do. It wasn't to start another religion, start a church, if you would. No, he came so that we could personally have a relationship with God. When Jesus rose from the dead, the people understood that he was God. And being God, they understood that he was holy. He was perfect. And the holiness of God really does present us people with a problem. There's a problem. If, if you accept there's a holy God, there's got to be a problem for us. The Bible says it this way in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we've all sinned. That word means to miss the mark. And, and the mark is God's holiness, his standard of absolute perfection. And so the Bible says we all fall short. Now listen, whether you fall short by that much or that much or that much or that much, if you miss it, you've missed it altogether. And there's not one of us in this room today who could say, yeah, God, I'm just as good as him in every way. No, we all would say, yeah, we fall short. We fall short. And that's a problem. A holy God can't entertain fellowship or, or, or spend time, if you would, with, with those who are imperfect. Our very presence in his presence would, would bring a problem. The Bible goes on to address this in Romans chapter 6 by saying this, the wages of sin is death. Now, I'm going to read on, but the Bible says what we deserve, what we have coming, what we've earned because we've missed the mark and fallen short is spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. The verse goes on to say this, however, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the gift of God. Now, the first half of that verse is kind of a bummer because all of us here today are sinners. We're like, wow, man, I deserve to be separated from God forever. I, I don't deserve to have a relationship with God, my sins forgiven, a home in heaven. I don't deserve any of that. But it's the second half of that verse that says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know that God loves us so much that he came to die in our place? You see, God and his love couldn't just say, look, I know, you, I know you all deserve spiritual death because of sin, but hey, today everybody goes free. No, he, he didn't say that. He's God, and along with being a holy God, he's a just God. The payment had to be paid. And so Jesus, God the Son, came. He died in our place. He rose again from the dead to extend his forgiveness to us as a gift. In fact, in what many people call the greatest verse, certainly the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16, we read these words, For God so loved the world that He gave, He gave, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, this gift that God gave was the gift of His only Son who lived a perfect life, never one time sinned. He died the death of the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, He rose again from the dead to, to validate that all He said is true and that He is who He claimed to be. And Jesus in, in John 14 said this, I'm the way, not a way. There is no other way. Jesus said, listen, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. In a sense, religion tries to tell us what to do to get there on our own. And the message of Jesus Christ is this. Here's what Jesus says. Without me, you're not getting there. You can't do it on your own. If there were any other way, do you think he would have died on the cross as he did? There was no other way. Jesus is the way. 
And it all hinges on the resurrection. Completely hinges on the resurrection. In John 11, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked this question, and it's the question we all need to ponder today. Believest thou this? Jesus said, let me tell you, the resurrection wasn't just an event. It's a person, and I am him. And he said, anybody that believes in me, spiritually, they'll never die. And then Jesus asked the question that we've all got to understand. Believest thou this? And I'll tell you what's implied in that question is the reality that there's only one way to accept this gift of God, and it's by believing. It's not by working, doing things, checking the boxes. It's by believing. The message of Easter brings hope to the hurting. It brings clarity to the confused. But it all begins with placing our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting Him for our spiritual salvation. Paul, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, wrote this. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, whosoever, that's any one of us, shall call upon the name of the Lord for salvation will receive it. He wasn't talking there of just any old prayer, praying before we go to bed or praying for dinner, something of that. No, he said this was a specific prayer whereby we at a point in time, we come to God and we confess, God, I've missed the mark. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. I know I don't deserve a relationship with you. But God, I thank you for coming to me and for dying on a cross, for rising again from the dead to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave. And God, by faith, I want to receive you as my spiritual Savior. And along with that, friends, comes forgiveness of sins, the assurance of a home in heaven, the presence of God in our life as we live. It's the change that the resurrection brings you know, as we began our study, we read of these ladies walking to the tomb where Jesus was, or they thought he was. And they asked this question. They said, who shall roll us away the stone? You see, they were afraid that there was a barrier in between them and Jesus. Something to prohibit them from getting into the presence of, of Jesus. But they learned it had been taken care of by God. Jesus for us. Remove the barrier of our sin through his work on the cross. And there is nothing prohibiting us today from knowing him and finding that forgiveness and the assurance of a home in heaven, the joy of having his purpose and his presence in our life. But we today must receive by faith the gift that he has given. We're not saved today by knowing about the resurrection we are not spiritually saved today by acknowledging that there's a God. We are not saved today spiritually by attending Easter services or getting baptized or joining a church or any other number of things. There's only one way. And it's by placing our faith in the work that Jesus Christ accomplished for us through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And today I ask this question, has there been a point in time a point in time in your life when you've done this. And if not, why not now? I remember the day I became a Christian. A lot I could say about that day. I was very aware that I'd missed the mark, that I'd fallen short. I had plenty of religion at that time. I was going to church and trying to do good things. But in my heart, I just didn't have any sense that I personally knew God. Again, I knew church. I knew religion. I knew that stuff. I just didn't know God. And when I discovered all that God had done for me, 
and that all I had to do to accept this gift was to receive it by faith, to confess to God that I'm a sinner, to turn from my sin and to Him, and He would save me. It changed everything. And maybe you're here today, and in your heart, if you were probed and and provoked and had to require an answer to the question, if you were to die today, would you spend forever in heaven with God? If you were required to answer that question, in your heart, there'd be something less than security. Well, friends, listen, I've got good news for you today. I'm not selling a thing. I don't have a list of things for you to do. My plea today isn't join the church or put money in an offering or light a candle or pray this way or that way. I'm telling you, Jesus took care of it all. And Easter is one gigantic reminder, at least on an annual basis, and we do talk about it every Sunday here, but Easter is a reminder. There's one way to have a relationship with God, and it's by saying, Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you did, and I want to accept you. And if you're here this morning, and you're not 100% sure that if you were to die, you'd spend forever in heaven, Don't take my word on it. I've been very careful in the short time we have today to give you as much of the word of God as I possibly can to remove myself, if you would, from the message so that the the message of the Bible could come to the surface. And if you'd like to know for sure, if you were to die today, that you'd spend forever in heaven with God and that you have a relationship with him for all of this life, there's one way, trusting Jesus. I'm gonna close this service this morning in a time of prayer. And uh, the